All right, Book of Romans, chapter 8. Book of Romans, chapter 8. I thought that we were going to, in fact, I think I told, someone emailed me and I told them that we were going to probably get to the section that a lot of people will be waiting for us to get to. Um, if you look at Romans, chapter 8, really quick, I told you to be in Romans 8 and then I'm not there. Okay, Romans, chapter 8, um, verse starting in verse 29, for whom he did... For no, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did, verse 30, for whom he did predestinate, he also called. Those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. All right. That's the passage that a lot of people is waiting for us to get to because we know all of the controversy that arises from that passage, right? Because what word is used there that creates all the controversy? Predestinated, right? The idea of predestination. What do you believe about predestination? And everybody gets really worried. And I know you think that it's, you know, in this church you may think, well, it's not that big a deal. Even though it's in Scripture, trust me, it's controversial because if you, you have to pick a side, and if you pick the wrong side, everyone, the other side will come out against you. In fact, way, I don't even remember how many years ago, we had some people who had been visiting the church, and they heard uh, some teaching I had done on predestination, and in fact, I think that's back when we were still on radio, and I had done, uh, on, on that we aired on Sunday mornings, so they were driving here, and then they heard uh, my message on predestination, and turned the car around and stopped coming because we said the wrong words about predestination. So it's a very, it's a very controversial subject and a lot of people uh, want to know, you know what, 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 how we're going to handle it, what we're going to do. And a lot of people want to know that because they already disagree, <laughs> disagree with this. But as, as fun as that will be, right? as exciting as that will be for me to get all kinds of emails with people trying to argue with me, um, one of the things what I, I want to do when we get there I want to really handle it in a, I'm going to try to handle it in a way where we haven't handled it before, right? So I'm, I'm already trying to think of how we're going to approach this. So that's number one. We're going to handle that differently. But no matter how many times I want to get there, no matter how, how many times I want to get to, or, or no, no matter how bad I want to get to that section, I just feel like that we can't get there yet because I believe there's still so many things in the previous section that I know we've looked at it. I know we've looked at it. And I, I know you keep thinking probably like, well, how much more can we look at? I just think that there's still too much there to move on. And so we're going to go back and we're going to take this part. We're going to go back to a section we've already looked at. And we're going to look at the same section for like, I don't know, the fifth time, the sixth time, because there's just too much, all right? And you may not think it's important, but I, I do, all right? So go back to Romans uh, chapter 8, go all the way back to verse 17, all right? I know, you, I, I know what you're saying. You've almost made it all the way to, to that, ver- you've made it to verse 28 at least three times, uh, and, and then you keep backing up. Well, you know what? I'll keep backing up a thousand times if I, if I think there's things that we... We need, all right? Because, again, what's the goal? The goal is to understand the text. The goal is not to finish a sermon. The goal is to understand the text. The goal is not to finish a series. Again, I, do, I, I will never understand in the life of me how pastors do that, right? They're like, we're going to study 
We're going to study Romans for the next eight weeks. And I'm always like, how can you, how do you know it's going to be eight weeks? Because then you just write, what? Eight, ser- or eight sermons on Romans. And I don't know how you can do that because when I get into the text, I, I don't care if I've already got the sermon written. When I get into the text, I continue to see things. So I, look, pastors who can pull that off, I guess congratulations. I guess that's wonderful. I can't do, I can't do it that way. I can't. So, because my job, my job is not to give you, a, and I know what, I want you to hear this. I don't believe my job is to give you a sermon. I believe my job is to get you into the text, right? And then teach to get you to struggle with the text and to get you to participate in the text so that you can learn the text so that you will be equipped and no longer tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. I don't believe the job is necessarily a sermon, even though that it may be classified as a sermon. It's more like, here's this text, let's get into this. And I don't know if you listened to the that long, crazy story that uh, I did um, for the podcast called uh, Podcast Suggestion, Untangled Faith, Part 1, Part 2, Part 3, and then Part 4 was, was Untangled Faith and uh, Plagiarism in the Pulpit. That story was the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. My, that was... The listener just sent me the, the podcast and said, Hey, this is a podcast suggestion. So I thought, Oh, no problem. Come to the church, grab the podcast episode, Listen to part of it, throw in three comments, four comments, five comments, and say, there you go, if you want to subscribe to this podcast. And it's great. That takes like 40 minutes. That's an easy episode. Well, what, five hours later? I was still unpacking that thing because that turned into the craziest story in the history of mankind. If you did not listen to it, you need to go listen to it because it was crazy. This, This woman was going to this church, and one Sunday, her pastor was making these jokes that greatly offended her. She did not like the way he was telling the jokes. So immediately from that point, she started writing, taking very detailed notes, because now she was mad. You know, when you're mad, you take the detailed notes, not when, you know, okay, whatever. Okay, that, that already irritates me. It's like, why are, you take the detail, and once you are in the, this is just an important rule. When you're in a church, and you're mad at the pastor, and now you start taking detailed notes so that you can find something he said wrong, that means it's time for you to just go ahead and leave, right? Because if you're that unhappy, right, now you're just looking, for, just move on, right? It's better for everyone. Not, I'm not saying that in a mean way. Look, if you're that unhappy that you got to sit there and take notes to find something that I said wrong, it's probably better to just go somewhere else where you don't feel like you have to be looking for everything that they're doing wrong. Okay, you get the idea? All right, so she starts taking notes. She goes home. She's really upset about the way he made these jokes. So she types in his sermon, right, on Google, and realizes, wait a minute, there's a same sermon with the same title, with the same artwork. So she goes, listen to that sermon and realize it's the same sermon. Her pastor, complete, not just borrowed it, took everything word for word for word. So she starts, they start investigating, find out basically every sermon he had ever preached was stolen, or word for word for word. To this level, this is how crazy the story gets, right? He decided that he heard this sermon that he was very um, was a very emotional, powerful sermon. So he preaches the sermon, and it really like the the women that were talking, they were very moved by it emotionally, and they find that the sermon that he borrowed everything. The, the same part where that pastor cried, he cried. Where his voice cracked, his voice cracked. But this is how crazy it was in that sermon. 
that pastor, this, this, this sermon happened years ago. He told this entire story where six months ago, he sent a letter to the elders telling them that he basically was struggling and almost had lost his faith. And then him and his mentor and his wife went to the ocean so that he could be rebaptized and gain his faith back. Well, to preach that, he had to create the same timeline. So six months before, he sent a letter to the elders. He, he set up, he, he staged his rebaptism so he could preach this sermon. That's how insane that it, I mean, the story is crazy. The story is crazy. But it just shows that when you fall into that, when you fall into the trap of just wanting to preach a sermon, well, then you just preach a sermon. You get the sermon from wherever. But if, you're, if your job is to study the text, see, you see the difference between I'm, gonna, I'm preaching to study the text versus I'm preaching to give you a sermon. Nicely put together, because you've got to have the intro, I got to tell a joke, right? Got to break the ice. That I got to have three three points. Got to have a good emotional conclusion, and I got to be done in about thirty to forty minutes, right? Okay. Well, I don't. I don't believe in. I don't. That you see. But I'm saying that from a pastor's point, that puts you that I got to produce a sermon. But if I'm not, in a sense, producing a sermon, I'm producing, let's study the text. You see how that radically changes the whole approach to church? Some people don't like the way I do things, right? Because they're like, well, that's not really, you know, that's not really preaching. I just want a sermon. Well, if you go, there's plenty of people out there who can give you sermons. But do you want to study the text? Right? Does that make sense? So let's study the text. Let's go to Romans and let's do that. All right? And I know it's still maybe called a sermon, but the goal here is to study the text. Agreed? All right. All right. Let me do this. I'm going to open this up so anyone can ask uh, questions if they want. All right. Here we go. Romans chapter 8. Let's see if you can uh, catch what I caught and see if you think that uh, it's as important as I do. All right. Just pretend that it's important. All right. Here we go. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. If you yes- listened to yesterday, I did a whole Bible study exercise on this. All right. Romans eight seventeen, And if the children, then heirs, heirs of God... And joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Now remember, this is the passage we spent weeks on, right? For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willing, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. All right? Now look at verse 24. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is not seen, that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope, for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. All right. Now, obviously, I, I, I wanted to, to try to build, build this out a little bit and try to slowly get you there, but I'm just going to jump in. There's a word there that's repeated a few times. Hope. All right. And, and those verses, how many times is the word hope repeated? I don't know if it's repeated the same amount in the NIV, but in the King James, I, it's, we can, everyone using the King James can count. How many times? Just go through the text and count. And the text that we read, where's the first place it's used? 
20, and it's in relation to the, the creation being subjected to vanity in hope. Everybody see that? All right, that's once. And then where's the next place it shows up? Twenty-four, right? Okay, and it's used how many times in verse twenty-four? Four times. Four times in one verse. That's a total of five. Is it used in the next verse? How many times? That's how many times? Six. Six times. Six times. That probably tells you something. It's important. So. I started my Bible study exercise yesterday this way, so I'm going, to start the, I'm going to kind of start the sermon this way, all right? Here we go. And again, when I say sermon, I'm talking about let's study the text, not just giving you a sermon, all right? So here we go. Very important. In your Christian life, how important is hope? When we talk about our Christian life and we talk about all the things that are very important in your Christian life, right? What's important to your Christian life? We talk about a lot of things, right? There may be conferences about this. How important it is in your Christian life for, for your quiet time. How important it is in your Christian life and your prayer life. How important, we talk about how important so many things are, right? Now the problem is there's a lot of things that are important. But sometimes things that may be very important don't get as much attention as other things. Now, that doesn't mean those other things are not important. It's just sometimes certain things may be overlooked. So when it comes to your Christian life, what is the significance of hope in your spiritual life? And how critical is that to you growing as a Christian and having some type of victory in your Christian life? It's very, very important. How, how critical, how important is the subject of hope? And when we say it's important, well, what does it mean? Now, yesterday on the theologycentral.net and the blog section, I embedded audio of a sermon on hope, and I told everyone to listen to it with discernment because it gave the typical modern evangelical understanding of hope, which I think would actually be detrimental to someone's Christian life. So, here's what I want you to write down. How is hope significant to your Christian life? And how could the idea of hope be detrimental to your spiritual life? Now, if you didn't listen to that sermon, then... We can't, we can't build off that, but I can at least try to get us to some of these discussions, all right? So, what's, so, first, so I'm asking you, how important is hope to your Christian life, right? I'm trying to ask you to compare how important is, is hope to your Christian life and how could it be dangerous to your Christian life? I'm, I'm really trying to get you to think about it. It's a, I, I, we all know the word hope, right? We all know the word hope. Right now, for me, I, I, you know, my sister's name is Hope. So the word hope has been around. Now, it's, it was used for my, my mom gave her the name Hope for two reasons. One, because uh, she was born, what, what, I say, I was, I don't even know. I think she's 10 years younger than me. I don't even remember. She's much younger than me. So uh, the, the idea was she's their last hope to have a child, right? Um, and, but the reality is she got the name Hope because of Days of Our Lives. Way back then, there was a character named Hope and I guess Bo and Hope or whatever the name was. And so that's really how she got her name. Okay, but Hope. So I know the name Hope, but the concept of Hope. Now, I cannot, 
I, I was trying to think about this yesterday when I was up here doing the Bible study exercise, and I was trying to think, how, how important has hope been in my spiritual life? Not my sister, but the concept of hope. My sister hasn't been important. Okay, yeah, that's a whole different subject. Okay, but um, how significant has it been? And I don't, I really had a hard time qualifying or quantifying it or, or measuring it. Could you do that? Like if you were to, if I was gave you like a piece of paper, say write a paragraph of how important hope has been in your spiritual life, could you do so? And if you did write that paragraph, if I looked at it, would it indicate that you have a biblical understanding of the subject? or an unbiblical understanding of the subject. I will argue that you may demonstrate that you have a, an unbiblical concept of it. All right, she's 12 years younger, according to Stacy. Thank you. All right, my sister's 12 years younger. Stacy knows better than I do. All right, 12 years younger than I am. All right, so the idea, though, that hope is this concept that we, again, I think I, I, if I ask you, you're going to tell me it's important. Right? You're going to tell me it's important, but I don't know if you could really articulate why. So do this. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Very famous passage of scripture. You probably know where we're going. Everybody, where, where, where am I going? Everybody seemed to say that they knew where I was going. Do I? It's the love chapter. Okay, so why would we go to the love chapter if we want to talk about hope? Ah, oh, there we go. What verse is that, Diane? It's, the, it's one of the last verses, right? Or it is the last verse. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 13. And it names three things. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, or love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So love is the most important, according to this chapter. But it doesn't deny the importance of faith and hope. So hope is listed there. So what is going on? Let's try to understand it. Well, first, so what is the first thing we need to do? Now, we could do this two, two approaches, right? I've given you the concept, hope. So we could do this a couple of ways, right? First, we could, we could jump out of Romans and do what? Do a topical study or a word study, correct? But I want to build the subject of hope in its context, as Paul is using it in Romans 8. Build from there, and then expand. All right? So, so now, I know you already know the passage. I, I, I know what you're thinking. Well, we've already looked at this. I know we've already looked at this, but now we need to really look at it, okay? Again, all right? Are you ready? Here we go. Go to Romans chapter 8. Let's start in verse 18. Now, your ability to answer questions determines the speed in which I can proceed, right? Because I'm not here to preach a sermon. I'm here to ensure that you are engaged in the text, all right? Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul says, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And remember, when we did our outline, what did we call verse 18? Present suffering future glory. All right. Now, why is that important? Remember, what's the concept we're studying? Hope. No, remember, no, today we're looking at hope, right? So why, why is that outlined the way you just stated it, present suffering and future glory? Why is that important to the concept of hope? Okay. 
Okay, all right, there we go. Hope always implies the idea that you're, whatever you're experiencing now, hope looks where? Ahead, right? Hope doesn't look at the present. You're like, you're like well, I'm, I'm good to go. Well, I'm good to go. Well, then, do you want, then hope is irrelevant because hope is always looking forward. Hope is always looking forward. Now, here's the question. Hope is always looking forward. Are you ready for the next two words? What do you think the next two words are going to be? Hope is always looking forward to what? This is very important. I want to make sure you, because this is going to, I think that the question, hope is always looking forward to what is going to determine, listen to me, if hope is going to be beneficial to your Christian life or detrimental. All right, you just got to stay. Okay, Bobby, I, I, think he, I, he, I think he knows where I'm going. All right, he probably stole my notes or something. Okay, but, but or he's been here long enough, he knows where I'm going. All right, but you, you get the idea. I want to make sure you understand this because if you listen to that sermon that I posted yesterday, he took hope and hope is looking for a, a something. His what is very different than what I think the what should be. I think his what would lead you to complete discouragement, despair, despondency, and possibly defection from Christianity. I'm going to argue that if you have a different answer to hoping for what, changes everything. But clearly hope is future, right? So in that verse, you have, what's the present reality? Suffering. What's the future? Glory, all right? Everybody got that? I'm going to keep that in mind. Next verse. For the earnest expectation of the creature or creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, what do you have here? You have a present what? Waiting. And waiting implies what? You're waiting what? For something, so you're doing what? Looking forward to something, waiting for something. In this particular verse, the present waiting is looking for a future manifestation. And what is that future manifestation? The sons of God. The manifestation of the sons of God, right? It's right there, correct? Right? Now, why is creation waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God? Because we, we basically understand that when the sons of God are ultimately revealed, that would be when? When, is the, when are the sons of God ultimately fully, completely revealed? After the final judgment, right? Because the lost have all been condemned, and what's left? You got the saved, so it's ultimately been revealed. And then we think, for if we use some form of a chronology, what follows the manifestation of the children of God? New heaven and new earth. So why would creation be longing and waiting for that? Because currently, what is creation experiencing? Go back to the previous verse. Suffering. Suffering. So, but this gives an expectation. Waiting for something. What, what, again, what is hope? Looking future. Two verses. We have a present situation looking for a future difference. Yes? Agreed? All right. Next verse. What happens in the next verse? For the creature, our creation, was made subject to vanity, or made subject to what? Different translations going to use different words. We got, what's the NIV say for uh, verse 20? For 
frustration, vanity, meaningless, right? The, the cre- creation. And what's important to note about this? Did, this cre- did creation choose it? No, next, the next words, not willingly, but by reason of him, who is the him? We have already covered all of this. Who is the him? All right, remember, we, we, we spent two sermons on that. God, we believe, I don't, I, nothing else seems to work, right? God subjected creation to meaningless futility, vanity. Not according to creation's desire. Creation did not desire it. God subjected it to it. And why did he do so? Or what, 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 in what way did he do this? He subjected it in what way? Well, not according to their will, but look at the verse, the very last phrase. And hope. Here's creation. He subjects it to vanity. So what's the present situation? Vanity. And what's the future? Hope. Right? Now, when I say the future, I'm saying that in that present vanity, there is a looking forward to something. So I I guess you could almost say it this way. A present vanity with a present hope. Because the hope is present, but it's looking forward. Now, why did he subject it in hope? What does that, how can we understand that? Let me read this to you in a number of translations, all right? Because now we're getting to the subject, yes? All right, here we go. The, uh, and, and I don't, some of these translations, I don't have the names for, for all of them, but I basically got every English translation here. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. He subjected it to vanity in hope. In other words, I'm subjecting it to vanity, but he's doing so. And what is he placing there with it? A hope. The hope is the in the previous verses, we just saw it, right? The present situation, present suffering is the present vanity, right? The present waiting is the present vanity. But both of those situations is looking to something what? Far different and better. That's the hope. Agreed? All right. Another translation. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. It was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. Hope is built into it. Now, hope is built into it. Listen, now this is very important. So we've already established hope is looking what? Forward. All right, but let's make it very clear here. Hope is a eager hope that is needed in the midst of the, the results of God's curse. So what is that hope ultimately looking forward to? If, if, it's, if everything was subjected to the curse, to futility, to frustration, to meaningless, that hope then, is, is it connected to a present changing of those circumstances? No. It's looking for a future eradication of those circumstances and that future hope is in what? Not in my situation here possibly getting better, but that my the hope is in a future where the curse is removed, gone. No, not just removed. I think, I think that may not even be accurate. A new heaven and a new earth is just not the removal. It is a reversal. 
So what is your so think of this. Hope is looking to the future, but hope is ultimately looking for what? The ultimate salvation, glorification, and reversal of the curse. Why do I why am I emphasizing that? Because if you put hope and somehow your current circumstances will change, that will lead to discouragement. And the sermon that I posted yesterday for everyone to listen to, what, the reason I posted it is because he spent 30 minutes basically saying, hey, you have this problem? Have hope. Have hope. Have hope. God can fix that. God can fix that. You've got a disease? Have hope. God can heal that disease. You can't have a child? Have hope. God can give you a child. Well, all of that places hope where? In the now that what will be fixed? Your circumstance where? In the now. Paul seems to be placing the hope where? In what future? Hope, glorification. Hope and glorification. Remember, what, go, back to, go back to the first verse. What Present suffering and future glory. Present waiting, future manifestation. That's the glorification of the sons of God. That's when they're going to be revealed, right? Okay. So where is the hope? And so then what, what do we have? A present vanity, but it, that vanity was put there, but what's the, there's, a, there's a current present hope into what? A future glory. If our hope is not in that, everything will explode and fall apart. That's what I want you to see. So here's what we need to do. We need to understand the Greek word that is used right here in Romans 8. Where's the first place hope is, occurs? 20, right? All right, so if you have it, go to the Blue Letter Bible app. Yes, but we'll, we'll have to get there. We've got to take this apart first, all right? Okay, can't, we, we can't bring in the cross-references until we and, and do this, but we're, then we, we, what we need to do is look at how hope is used through the whole book, but we'll get that. I don't know if we're going to get there today, but we're going to try. All right, here we go, all right? The Greek word. Oh, wait, hang on. That's me, right? Got to turn that off. All right, here we go. I had, I had it open because I was, uh, in case people ask questions. All right, here we go. Here's the Greek word. Everybody ready? Strong's G1680, El Peace. El Peace. What's the Greek word? What is the Greek word? All right, there you go. Why do I play it that way? Because I'm just taking you through the process, right? I'm taking you through the process, all right? I don't care if it makes me look dumb because I don't care. It's not about me. What's the goal here? Not to preach a sermon, but to do what? Understand the text, all right? El peace. Now, if we look up the basic meaning of it, what is it? Strong's definition gives us to anticipate, usually with pleasure, expectation, or confidence... Now, what word do they connect with it? Faith. In fact, one time, uh, the, the, the word uh, El Peace is used 54 times in the King James. One time it is translated faith. One time it's actually translated faith. But, so, so we have a confidence. Wait, do we have the idea of looking forward? Yeah, and ante- anticipating is looking forward. And with what? With pleasure. That's interesting. Now, why am I hoping with pleasure? If it's a hope mixed with pleasure, that seems to indicate what? That it's his confidence that it's going to happen, right? 
I mean, look, if you're hoping for something, you don't hope. Look, if I'm hoping, you know, if I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm hoping when I get home, there's sitting on the, the, uh, the, my, uh, the, right there by the front door is a package from Amazon with a new, you know, a new MacBook Pro or a new iMac. Okay, I can hope and hope and hope, but there's no joy there because I'm pretty sure that that's not going to happen. Right? So the only way that it could really be joyful in hoping is that I'm absolutely sure that it's going to show up. There's a certainty. Yes? So this already seems to imply that hope is looking to the future. Hope is connected with glory. And hope is mixed with a confidence and a certainty. Now, wait a minute. If it's met with a certainty, now I want you to think about this. If Christian hope is met with a certainty, then that would limit what I can have hope in. Yes? Hey, in your Christian life, you need to have hope. Okay, you hear Christians say that all the time. Have hope. Hope in what? Because if Christian hope is mixed with a certain anticipation with joy, then I'm going to limit what I can have hope in. Let me give you an example. My mom was laying in a hospital bed. I get told to leave Jim Ned and go to the hospital. I, had, I could have had hope that she was going to be made better. In fact, I did have hope that it was going to be, because I was a young Christian thinking, I'll just stay at the church. I stayed at First Baptist Church all night. Pray, 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 pray. Had hope. Still died. Well, that... That meant, that was a foolish thing to have a joyful confidence in, wasn't it? Everyone should say, yes, that was a foolish thing to have confidence in because there's no guarantee to have hope that someone's not going to die. Agreed? Is it foolish to have hope that the cancer diagnosis is going to come back as negative? Yes. Is it foolish if your child goes missing to have a confident hope that it's going to be found alive? Yes. I know people listening to this going, this is being preached in a church, but it's foolish. Why? Christians get sick and die. Christians' kids get kidnapped and, and die. Horrible things happen. People, your houses burn down. You lose your job. Things don't get better. If you have hope in that, you will become discouraged, despondent, and you may defect from Christianity thinking that Christianity is the biggest bunch of garbage in the history of mankind. It's not that Christianity is garbage. It's the Christianity that was sold to you is garbage, and the preachers who sold it are garbage, and they should be removed from the pulpit for preaching those kinds of lies. Because it hurts people. Does that make sense? So what, so what can our hope be? Go back and if you, if you have the Blue Letter Bible app, I want everyone to look at this. Look at the Blue Letter Bible app if you have it available. Look at the outline of biblical usage. Okay, you see it? All right, is it part two there? And what does part two say about the outline of biblical usage for the Greek word? And what's the Greek word? Okay, all right, everybody got it, all right. Now, what's the outline of biblical usage? I think it's the second one. Expectation of good, comma, hope, and it says it has a part A, in the Christian sense, joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. All right, let's, let's take this apart. Christian hope, I want you to write this down. Christian hope is 
Read these words again. Joyful and confident expectation in or of eternal salvation. What is Christian hope? A joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation. What is Christian hope? I want everyone to say it with me. Joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation. Does that change it completely? Yes! What does the text just have established? What are you going to experience in the present? Suffering. What are you going to experience in the present? Waiting. What are you going to experience in the present? Vanity. Frustration. Meaningless of this current situation because we're under God's curse. But what can you find in the middle of the suffering and the waiting and the vanity? Hope. Hope, not that everything's going to get better in this life, but hope, a confident, joyful expectation of eternal salvation. Why can I have a joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation? Because my salvation is not based on how I handle circumstances. It's not based on what I do, what I could do, should do, may do. It's found in the finished work of Jesus Christ, which is perfect, and nothing I do can change that. Therefore, I can have a confidence in salvation. That changes the understanding of hope. I get sick of hearing Christians preach hope is about, oh, everything's, have hope in God. How many times have you heard Christians say that? Hope in God. I can hope in God for what? Eternal salvation. What can I, what I can, I, I, hoping in God that he's going to fix the temporal situation is foolish. Why is it foolish? Because I cannot have a joyful, confident expectation that God will do what I want Him to do in my situation. Which will only lead to disappointment, discouragement, despondency, and defection. Does everyone, do you see why I'm trying to talk about this? We see the word hope and our brains go wicky-wacky, okay? We go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I don't know what happens. And so then yesterday, as soon as I, what I did is I took the Edify Christian Podcast app. As soon as my Bible study exercise was done, right there at the back table, I opened up the Edify Christian Podcast app. I typed in the word hope. Found the first sermon, hit download. Got in the car, connected the sermon uh, to the Bluetooth, and listened to it on the way home. By the time I got home, I was already ready to wreck the car. I wanted to drive in front of a truck. Okay, because all he was talking about was telling all these people who were listening to him, have hope for every every circumstance, have hope. And I'm like, well, that's wonderful until the circumstance doesn't get any better. And then what happened to your hope? Where can you have hope? Where did Paul just connect it to? To the, to the glorification. Now, let's read, let's read, and we'll bring this to a conclusion. All right, everybody ready? All right, now let's see if I, now you think I'm crazy, right? Look at verse 21. King James puts what in verse 21? What word? 
Because. What does because indicate? Oh, say it. The reason for the hope, right? Would you agree, Sarah, or disagree? Right? Not all, not most of the translations don't use the word because here. What does the uh, NIV use? It's a continuation. Wow. In hope. In hope that. Remember I said what was important? Hope in and what? Right? Remember I said that's the, the figuring out the answer to that question? What are you hoping in? If you answer the question wrong, it will lead to despondency, discouragement, defection. Remember, if you hope in the right thing, it's going to lead to joy. It's going to change everything. This text just put in hope that, and what are we hoping in? Look at verse 21. Because the creature, or that the creature, creation itself, also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. What's a good way of paraphrasing that? What would be a good way of paraphrasing that? Just go straight paraphrase on me. Okay. Creation is going to experience what? The, say it. And who else is going to experience glorification? The children of God. Remember we talked about the waiting for the manifestation? We're going to be glorified. When we're glorified, what are we going to experience? New body. No more sin. No more death. No more suffering. All the curses gone. What is creation going to experience? The same. How was creation subjected to suffering? And hope. The hope of what? That the suffering will get better here? No. But in the glorification that is to come. How certain is the glorification of creation? 100%. How certain is the glorification of everyone who's a Christian? 100%. 100%. It's not, I hope I make it. I hope I make it. No, it's in Jesus Christ. I'm going to make it because my sins are what? Paid for. So I can't go to hell. They've been paid for. Right? Okay, so that means I can have what kind of hope? Joyful? Confident? Expectation of What? Eternal salvation. That's a hope you can have. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And guess what? That hope is not in any way bothered or moved by. Not by circumstances, because your hope is not that the circumstance will get better. The hope is in a future glorification where all bad circumstances will no longer exist. But for now, what do I have to do? Patiently wait and endure the circumstances. Now, can God intervene in a circumstance? He can, but I can't have an ex- a confident, joyful expectation that he will. The only thing I can have the confidence in is in the future glorification. So when we talk about soteriology, we talk about glorification. The future glorification has everything to do with your practical sanctification. Why? Because what will help sanctify you in this life? Well, what's one thing that can really mess up your Christian life? Frustration, anger, bitterness, and discouragement about your present circumstances. What can help you through all of that? A joyful, 
confident expectation of an eternity where all of this is removed. So not an expectation that it's going to get better now because that will only create more bitterness. That's why a lot of people come into the church and their marriage doesn't get better. Their kids don't act any better. Everything falls apart. They don't get any better because they continue to sin. And at some point it's like, where is my hope? Well, because you were sold a false hope. Everybody got that? A false hope. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example of a false hope. My mother had this dream, had this hope that she wanted desperately one day to own a house and some property out in the country. I don't know why she thought that. She had to be smoking crack or something. I don't know, okay? Because who wants to live in the country? Nobody, okay? Right? Nobody wants to live in the country. Okay, no. Okay, but that, that's what she wanted. And so, ultimately, she got at least part of her dream a little bit, right? She got the house there between Buffalo Gap and Tuscola. I thought Buffalo Gap was much better, but that's a whole different story, okay? So, in between, with I don't know, was it one acre, two acres, three? I don't even know how many acres, whatever it was, okay? And she got her hope. Only to die, what, a year later? And then, what happened? Well, now, we won't even go through everything that happened. The house was totally and utterly, completely destroyed by stepchildren, and and just the whole thing is just destroyed. And now, my sister supposedly has the property, but then she's not paying the property. I don't even know what's going to happen to the property. I just want it out of my life, because my name, my name got magically put on it. I I get a thing in the mailbox going, Oh, you now own the property. I'm like, how did I get the property? I didn't even want the property. I haven't been on the property in 20 years. I don't want anything. I don't ever want to see it again. Okay. But the sad part is it's all destroyed. Now, it would be great if like, if my sister would have taken it, been in the right mind and not all of her problems and could have taken it, redone the house and then lived there for the rest of her life. That would have been great because that would have fulfilled, in a sense, my mom's dream of her daughter hope and then her hope for the house. And it would have been, but you know how many people have hopes in life that are shattered and they don't come to pass? Everyone. And Christianity with these garbage preachers come in there and sell the idea of hope and they misapply it. All right, now, let's finish this up. All right, here we go. I said, I know we were going to finish it up a second ago and then I stopped, but okay, here we go. All right, verse, now you see why I went back and covered this? All right, verse 22. For we know... The whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. So what's the current situation? Pain and groaning. All of creation. Now the idea of travaileth and pain is almost the idea of, of like labor pains, right? It's, it's pain, but there's a hope of something better coming, right? And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now that's important. What do we have? The Holy Spirit in us. What, is, what, is the, what was the first fruits? What was the concept of the first fruits? The first fruits was an indication and thinking for what was, it was only the first of what was to come. We have the Holy Spirit in us as the first fruits of what is to come. Glorification. Right? Does that make sense? That's how come we can have a glorious, uh, that's how come we can have a joyful 
confident expectation. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit. The what? What's the last three uh, words? The redemption of our body. What are we waiting for? Hoping for the redemption of our body. Is that something that we're like, I hope it happens. I hope it happens. No, it's a joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation. All right. Now look at verse 24. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope for what a man seeth. Why doth he yet hope for? We can't see it. Can we see it? Can I see? Have I ever seen glorification? No. I haven't seen it. Right? Guess what? And that's why I can't stand when people interpret that verse. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. If, that, if I'm already experienced that, then why do I need glorification? Because that would imply the eradication of the sin nature. No, I'm a new creature in my position. Positionally, I'm already glorified. What am I hoping for in the present? The future glorification that is yet to come. Have I seen it? No. Have I experienced it? No. What am I still suffering? The consequences of sin. The things I want to do? I don't do the things I don't want to do. I do. That's the experience we're all suffering. Right? Okay, next verse. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? Do we wait for it? Yes. What kind of wait? Confident expectation. Patiently. Right? It's a patience. Why is it patient? Because you know what's going to happen. You know it's going to happen. You know it's going to get there. So, to end, right? First, I'm going to make sure no one asks any questions. Make sure no one asks any questions or someone wants to offer some kind of disagreement. Okay? Hopefully, nobody wants to offer a disagreement. Okay? Here we go. There's me yelling. Okay? All right? Here we go. Make sure. All right. Good. And, well, Stacy, 29 minutes ago, answered, we have hope for a future glory. All right. Good. You're, you're right. Just 29 minutes ago. Okay. All right. Well, I missed it. All right. So, let, how do we end this? Let's make sure. Is hope important to the Christian life? Yes. Why is it important to the Christian life? It helps you through the reality of a present situation that's not very hopeful. Right? Is the present situation hopeful? No. You're born, you die. And in between, you suffer. That's wonderful life. You can try to give me the Disney version of life, but I'm sorry. The Disney version is a Disney version. The reality is you're born and you die. And in between, do things go your way? No. Things, do you suffer? Yes. Now, some people suffer more than others, but there's no guarantee. See, when I, there was almost this idea when I became a Christian that every, I was kept being told that everything in my life would get better, but it didn't get better. My family situation got worse. Next thing you know, I wasn't even living with my family. And the next thing you know, my mom's dead and we didn't even get to reconcile. Whoa, man, my Christian life is doing wonderfuls for me, doing wonderful for me. So I got so frustrated that I took a gun and got ready to end my own life because what's the point? Because I was being told a lie about Christianity. At some point, I had to get past all of the lies. So hope is critical to your Christian life because it keeps you going in a hopeless situation. Because you're hoping for not something that you see. You're hoping for something that you're not even going to experience in this life. You're hoping for something that is eternal. 
that is future with when glorification occurs. How can hope be detrimental to your Christian life when you're hoping for the wrong things? What should you never hope for? That things in this situation are going to get better. That things are going to go your way. I know that sounds like from a psychological standpoint, like, man, you're going from, to, to a very, you know, almost defeatist, you know, nihilistic uh, view of life. No, I'm just being very realistic. There's no, hoping in something when you don't know if it's going to work out may give you a temporary boost, but it can end in total, utter discouragement and destruction. You can hope and hope and hope. Oh, I hope, I hope, I, you know, I'm driving to the hospital. I hope, I'm hoping my mom's going to be okay. When I walked into that room, it was over. There, all hope was gone. Now, some people were still having hope, but I mean, we had to just keep doing the test on the brain to determine that she was brain dead, and 72 hours later, she was gone. So, guess what? That hope could have gave me temporary hope for three days, but the end result was going to be. Death. And guess what? When you're standing at the graveside of your mom being buried, all hope is gone. See, that's... I know this sounds so anti-Christian. Do not have hope about things working out in this life. Your hope is a joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation and the only reason I can have that is because I'm not saved according to my works. I'm not saved according to my deeds. I'm saved because of the finished work of Jesus Christ which gives me complete confidence of eternal salvation. That is Christian hope. I can have hope that Christ will return. I can have hope in the resurrection of the dead. I can have hope that there will be a come a time where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, and no more death. I can have hope that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and was put in there before the foundations of the world. I can have hope in all of those kinds of things. What can I not have hope in? That anything is going to work out in this life. Right? Does that make sense? Now, I know, I know you've got to be balanced there, all right? I'm not saying when someone is suffering, you walk up and say, there is no hope, just suffer. I'm not saying you do that. Okay? I'm just saying that all you can do is say, I'm with you through this. Okay? Maybe this will work out, maybe it won't. Don't give them a false hope, because you don't know if it's going to work out. When Christians, oh, I hate, you know how many Christians called me when my mom was laying in the hospital saying, oh, you know, all things work together for good, God's going to heal your mom. Well, no, he, he didn't. So why didn't you tell me that? And then guess where was, they didn't even bother to show up when I'm standing at the cemetery burying my mom because those liars didn't spoke for God when they should have never spoken for God. He didn't heal my mother. He didn't heal my father from cancer. They both died. Thank you, Christians, for lying to me. Guess where I can have hope? And eternal salvation. Does that make sense? And I get angry about it because I've seen Christianity do so much damage here. Just go, just hop online, look for sermons on hope and just look at, listen to how they're preached. Do they deny the eternal aspect of it? No, but what do they almost always want to add to? How you can have hope today for what is coming in your life tomorrow. Nope, can't do, I can't give you that. Can't give you that because I don't know what's going to happen in your life tomorrow. I can't, I can't promise you one thing. But you know what I can promise? That if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, 
You can have a joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation because it's not based on anything you do or I do. It's based on the finished work of Christ. There you can have hope. Anything else is a lie. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. This is a very important sermon. It's radical. It changes our perspective dramatically. It won't be well received, but I hope it helps someone who's been fed false hope and have found themselves despondent and discouraged and maybe even thinking about defecting. I hope that they will defect from the Christianity that teaches a lie and run to you who teaches a truth about hope that should give all Christians something to praise you for. And we do praise uh, your son, and it's in his name we pray. And God's people said,